Hi, everybody. It's Crosstown Conversations. And um, I, I, every week I say, oh, my goodness, can it get any worse and any better? So today we're going to talk about worse and better. This is something I've been doing a lot lately because you just can't take in all this really difficult news without balancing it with good stuff. So we're going to talk first with Melissa Flournoy, who has got a very interesting campaign going about these terrible AR-15s that are just wiping people out. Um, and then we're gonna follow that talking with Jamima Joel, who is a vocalist, a singer, um, and a producer. She just dropped her first um, uh, music video that is really great. And, and you're gonna really enjoy that conversation too. But let's deal with um, this, this issue. I, I have to say, Melissa Flournoy, organizer that you are, former legislator, and you're going to talk about your campaign. We've had you on just recently and you kind of introduced us, but now we're going to sort of update in view of the most recent shootings. I mean, they just keep coming. And I, I, just, I just can't believe that anybody takes this red flag stuff seriously when so clearly it just plain don't work. And this experience in Chicago, near Chicago, is yet another example of how somebody who, who had a police record. I mean, the police had been to his home. They saw the, the swords and, and um, uh, knives and uh, his parents call in that he wants to kill them and everybody else. And, and somehow he still gets to buy an AR-15. So just tell me how sad it is that our country is so divided, I guess is, is the basic, it's, it comes down to the numbers in, in Congress that we, we celebrate a, a, a solution that is not a solution at all. And in the meantime, the real solution is just evading us because nobody has the guts to deal with it. I don't know. Or people are just too interested in their personal power to take seriously the lives of others. That's just my rant on it. Um, I'm going to return to your objective sensibility now. And um, tell me about what you're doing on this. Well, Jean, you know, I appreciate the opportunity to be with you today. You know, I'm the board chair of a group called Louisiana Progress and I'm involved. We have a new initiative called 10,000 Women Louisiana, because I really believe it's going to be the women in Louisiana that are going to have to be organized and rise up and be focused and furious. That's sort of my new tagline uh, to make real change uh, in our state uh, and in our country. And so we're interested in issues around reproductive rights and health care and safety and school safety. And I tell you, the Buffalo shooting a uh, month and a half ago just pushed me over the edge. And that was followed ra rapidly by the school shooting in Uvalde. And since the school shooting in Uvalde, there have been um, literally 50 different mass shooting events around the country. There's a, there's a, I want to let people know about a website that's called Gun Archives. Let's see, gunviolencearchive.com. Org. And you can actually go on gunviolencearchive.org and print off a list of uh, school shootings or mass shootings by um, uh, location and by date. And literally since the Buffalo shooting, there are 12 pages of 
shootings involving, you know, mass woundings of people. You know, um, what really aggravates me is that we focus on the grocery store shooting or the school shooting and now the parade shooting, but there's violence every day in New Orleans and Baton Rouge. There are young people carrying AR-15s in our neighborhoods. Uh, there was an article in the newspaper uh, uh, in New Orleans about somebody being shot at by an AR-15 by a kid standing up uh, out of a car, car on the on interstate. The I just saw so, that. So these military-style weapons are everywhere. And so my frustration and the frustration that, that we're really tapping into is that civilians do not need to have military-style weapons. And I know we're, we're grateful for the federal legislation that, that just recently passed. And I know there's going to be a signing ceremony uh, next week with the president and, and um and so we're grateful for that work at the, at the federal level, but it really doesn't go far enough to try and get these military style semi-automatic weapons off the street. Now, I will tell you that Congress is pulling in the uh, CEOs of the gun manufacturing companies um, and uh, for hearings uh, on the uh, sale of these military style weapons. And so, the campaign that we launched with 10,000 women that I was on a couple of weeks ago to talk about with you um, is a sign-on letter targeted towards one of the largest gun distributors that's headquartered in Louisiana. Lipsy's LLC is one of the nation's largest gun distributors, and they're headquartered in Baton Rouge. And so We've got a sign-on letter at 10,000womenla.org targeted to the CEO of Lipsy's LLC, a woman named Laurie Lipsy Aronson. And so we've already got about 17, I think we're at 1,700 names now. Uh, we're trying to get our next goal is to get to 2,000 names and then 2,500 names and up to 5,000. This is a longer term strategy to try and engage with um, this gun distributor to, to really try and emphasize the potential for corporate responsibility to disrupt the supply chain for access to these military style weapons being uh, sold out to local retailers and wholesalers around the country. Um, and, and if the federal government won't do it, we think good corporate leaders and corporate citizens uh, like Dick Sporting Goods made a decision not to sell AR-15s and similar rifles. Walmart, Walmart made the same decision. So we have a very specific ask targeted at a Louisiana business that's a family-owned business where these corporate leaders can make a decision about the sale and distribution of, of what is euphemistically called military-style semi-automatic weapons. And, and that includes the AR-15 as well as a range of other weapons um, that have high magazine capacity and, and are really just uh, killing machines. You know, they, they have no other function than to what we saw in Uvalde, what we saw in Buffalo, what we saw you know, just day before yesterday uh, 
in Highland Park, Illinois, um, just the potential for mass carnage. And, uh, and so I understand people have a, a, a commitment to the Second Amendment. You know, I don't, you know, and I wouldn't mind if everybody had a musket, if we want to talk about the original intent of the Constitution. But I just, you know, I think there are a lot of people in Louisiana and around the country that just don't think that military style weapons need to be in the hands of civilians and need to be in the hands of particularly these young men uh, that have half fit the profile um, of these mass shooters. So we're, we're doing what we can in a very narrow and strategic way. Uh, and this is a campaign that's gonna go on over the next several months. We're meeting with religious leaders and other organizations and people that know the, the owners of Lipsy's LLC to set up some strategic meetings with them. Um, we're reaching out to other elected officials and law enforcement groups as well. Um, and so we see this as a, as a strategy to be focused on a very simple message, uh, focused on corporate leaders to take responsibility for um, what they can do to disrupt the supply chain. Okay, let me do two things and then I wanna continue the conversation. Um, you said um, 10,000 women LA, give me that again, please. Yeah, it's the number 10,000, no comma, 10,000 women la.org okay. uh, and that's the website for 10,000 women there's a link on that that says uh, uh, response to gun massacre the link to the letter uh, to Laurie Lipsy Aronson so people can sign it they can share it um, we just really want to demonstrate that there's a, a broad uh, sense of of um interest in trying to encourage corporate leaders in these gun companies to do what they can. Now, um, also Lipsy's, Lipsy LLC, give me that exact uh, reference to, please. Um, it's the, the name of the company is Lipsy's, L-I-P-S-E-Y-S, LLC.com. And you can go on their website and see the range of weapons that they sell. Uh, they're a distributor, so they sell to retailers and, and others uh, here in the United States. And so, you know, they're a big piece of the distribution network between manufacturers and then the pawn shops or gun sellers or, you know, other, you know, retailers on the street. So I, I, I think this is a, a smart campaign. And um, it's one that uh, is, as you said, it's focused. What was your other expression? Focused and furious. Yeah, I think there are a lot of women and men and, and men can sign this letter too. And so, you know, we really are trying to mobilize people of goodwill um, who want common sense solutions, who understand that the, this is a fraught political landscape, that we're likely not to have state or federal legislation that would um, eliminate the sale of these weapons. And so another strategy is this focus on corporate responsibility. Um, because at the end of the day, the question for me is, who sold the gun? Where did the, these guns come from? You know, and, and I do feel like there's some, um, if not liability, responsibility 
uh, for the mass distribution of killing machines that are taking over, you know, the streets in our country. And um, so, I, I wanna... we're in a bad situation and we need to look at every angle where we can possibly influence uh, how to how to make our family safer, our neighborhood safer, um, and our community safer. So I'm going to share with you um, my uh, strategic idea, which you will probably not approve of because you're a little bit more um, responsible than I am, I think, uh, ultimately. But um, I've long thought that there are influences in in our society that are of profitable uh, value to people, um, not just gun manufacturers and gun sellers, but also, and this was where I started from, um, the producers of violent television and film and video and streaming media. Not to mention um, also, um, not to mention also the uh, games, of course. And um, so I have this notion, um, wouldn't it be impactful if we could get somebody like the Advertising Council to run some ads on television, radio, and so forth that are basically wanted ads for murder? So let's take a guy who is producing, and I. Okay, that might've been a sexist comment on my part, but I'm gonna assume that most of the people producing many of these videos and films and game content um, are guys, um, have produced videos and, and films where you know, over the years they've, they've, they've witnessed in these videos just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of murders and or gun battles that have killed people. So I say a guy who has produced, you know, numerous films that glorify violence are um, guilty of murder. And so let's put out the wanted ads for these characters. That's one. Now, more recently, going to your point about the people who sell and the retailers, I'd like to see an ad for Miss Lori. Lipsy, Aronson, AKA a philanthropist. I love that. I love the people who try to cover their tracks with philanthropy. Um, as a murderer, how many assault weapons has her company sold? And how many people have literally been killed by the guns that she has sold? Or an estimate, because probably that's not a, a number that you can get. That's one. Two, how about these retailers? How about the guy who's standing across the, the counter from this kid uh, who just did the Highland shootings? And this kid is buying a big old um, AK-15. Um, and, and the seller is, is, knows in his heart that this guy shouldn't have one. And, and but he goes ahead and sells it because he just wants those dollars. Well, he's a you know, yeah, he's a murderer. Well, Put well, his wanted sign on the air. You know, uh, Jean, you're right. You're, you've gone way farther than I'm. I'm willing to go. I know, but I, but I understand the sentiment. Uh, 
and I understand the level of of sort of this causal linkage. You know, it, I guess where we're coming from is if we can disrupt the supply chain and get enough distributors or retailers to have sort of that same response of, you know, we don't really need to be selling these these uh, military style weapons to to kids in, in this country. You know, we're trying to raise the age to 21. You know, I actually don't think anybody um, needs one of these military style weapons that's a civilian. You know, I'm worried not just about these lone wolf young people, but I'm worried about these, the proud boys and the militia and, and some of these fringe elements that are, you know, yeah. arming for, um, you know, uh, fascist revolution in the country. You know, there, there are just a lot of issues at play. I just feel like our country would be a lot safer if we didn't have all of these, you know, um, uh, rapid fire, semi-automatic military style weapons with expanded magazines um, so readily available. You know, either we need to jack up the price and make them unaffordable. We need to make bullets unaffordable. You know, there needs to be some, some you know, strategies that can so help reduce is where you're well, to to reduce the access to these weapons. But mm -hmm. you know, the response that we're getting around the country and, and that I've been in conversation with other advocates on this issue is that, you know, um uh selling these weapons are legal, people have a right to buy them. And yes, these companies have a right to make them and they have a right to sell them. But but you know what? You know, you also have a, have the opportunity not to sell them. You know, you also have the opportunity to make a corporate business decision to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. As did and Walmart, for example. Of course, they can right, afford it right. more easily than some of these small retailers. But okay, so I'm sorry, but I got to go back to my my uh, strategy for a minute. Okay, I hear Hold you. On. Okay, so. Have you have when's the last time you turned on your television at about seven o'clock at night? You're finished eating, and um, you know, you, you might be headed to watch one of the cable news shows, but you, you tune in um, to the networks, um, or you tune in to HBO, or you tune in to you know, one of the other um, uh, streaming sources. You know, in one night, you can probably count thousands, literally of violent acts that are on your tube that night. The problem I have is I can't even find anything. So I don't pay for a whole lot of services. I just, you know, I kind of go back and forth from cable to the networks to Netflix maybe sometimes, and but mostly, um, you know, with it. And, and I, I turn on HBO and I would say, if they have six different films being shown, Five of them are going to be basically violent films showing a uh -huh. ton of violent acts. And anybody who doesn't think that that has an impact on what younger people take as normal activity, I, I'd like to know. I'd like I'd like to see somebody try to prove that that doesn't have an impact on. Well, you know, I, I think that shooting is somehow a cool thing because I want to go back now to for, for a minute to. This guy, um, what's his name? The one who just shot up uh, the um, parade in, in Highland Park. I forget. Oh, Bobby Crimpo, I think. Okay. Yeah. 
So he's been watching, he's been on, um, he's been on these groups online who are all into, literally they are into the idea of mass shooting. What's that all about, Melissa? What, 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 what are people saying about where that notion that is exciting, they find it exciting to deal with this notion of mass murder? Where's that coming from? Well, I, I think it's coming from a real degrading in the culture. I think probably the media does have, or, you know, the movies or others probably has played a role in some of this glorifying of, of the murders. But, you know, that was the most shocking thing to me to understand that there's a subculture of that, young men. That was men, my takeaway. Yeah. A subculture of basically, it seems like young white men that are alienated that, uh, fantasize about killing people. And so, you know, now that law enforcement knows that, that these people are out there, you know, I actually wish we could focus on uh, a family intervention strategy. What are their parents thinking? Where's the mental health component of this? How do we, if we can identify these young people and know that they have such darkness in their hearts, you know, how do we help them? You know, how do we encourage them to seek mental health counseling? How do we access resources? How do we divert some of this violence? Um, because there's just, there's so much psychic pain in the world right now. You know, Gene, it's just a heartbreak that evidently there are so many people who feel so alienated and, and unloved and disassociated and disrespected and, and yeah, whatever whatever the, the, the mentality is that that they are willing to pursue murder uh, at this scale um, uh, is just horrifying and, and you know if the FBI and other people know who these people are if they can track them in these chat rooms you know, I just wish there were some social workers knocking on the doors, talking to the parents or talking to these young people or helping them sort of get their lives back on track. Because this is this is what's so horrifying to me is that, you know, we find out after the fact that some of these young people uh, were known to their schoolmates or their educators or their family to have this this violent potential um impulse to you know uh, and evidently they want to see how many people they can kill there was a deal from the fbi talking last night on one of the news shows and um you know it's just frightening to me the level of alienation and sadness these young people must feel and 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 we need to be focusing on those issues as well and so you know all of this a, a very complicated social pathology yeah, that, and, you know, and, and, and it's not just the guns, you know, yeah. it's like this kid in Highland Park evidently had knives and swords and had threatened to kill his parents. The police showed up at his house and took his knives. Oh, so then he goes and buys, you know, a military style weapon uh, and expanded magazines and has, you know, hundreds of rounds of ammunition. Um, you know, what's wrong with this picture? You know, the red flag laws need to really be enforced. The background checks need to be enforced. There are obviously gonna be people who fall through the system, but we need to do a much, much better job of um, 
trying to disrupt this this pipeline so, of yeah. murder and mayhem. And, and, and for openers, when the police walk out of that house with those knives in their hands, um, why aren't they um, referring that person to some kind of a, if not mental health, because that that maybe there's a um, a, a, a um, shorter cut to, again, some kind of sociological um, help that explores what is going on. Because the other thing that I think we, we have, I've heard, and I believe this is true, that um, the disaffection of a young person often derives from the dis disaffection in some way of his parents, his or her parents. And- um, well you know, parents have a real role to play in raising their kids. You know, this goes all the way back to that young man that shot Gabby Giffords a decade ago in Tucson, Arizona. Clearly a uh, mentally ill young man needed assistance. Um, you know, there are obviously signs that each of these young men uh, who've done all the Sandy Hook young man. I mean, they, uh, I think the 10 year anniversary of the Aurora movie theater shooting where the, they were showing Batman and the young man came in and body armor and shot up the theater. You know, that's on July the 20th. I mean, we, this is not a, a new phenomenon. We have not, we have not learned enough in the last 20 years since Columbine. Uh, and we are not doing enough to provide and identify um, the mental health needs of, of these young people. But, you know, we're right now we're focusing on these young white men with with military style weapons. I read an article in the in the New York Times about gun violence and community gun violence in Chicago and other cities around the country, Philadelphia, New Orleans, et cetera. And um, and we have community violence on a daily basis in New Orleans. We also need to talk about what are the mental health needs of the young people in our communities here in Louisiana? How can we reduce the level of violence um, and, and reduce sort of this obvious tendency to solve everything with a gun? So that's what scares me about where we are in our state is the number of road rage violent instances is going up. If everybody's driving around with a handgun in their car and they get mad, they're pulling over into the Brookshire's parking lot in Shreveport and two 60-year-old white guys shot at each other in Shreveport two weeks ago out of a road rage incident. I mean, they're just, you know, there's too much guns and it's just too violent everywhere. We can't solve everything, but we do need to talk about community violence reduction. We need to talk about gun safety uh, and we need to talk about reducing access um, to these military style weapons that can just do such carnage so quickly um, uh, and it's going to take a community response. We can't wait on government to do it. Uh, and so that's really why I want to encourage people to sign on to the sign on letter. 10,000 women, LA.org. And, and, and I think we've just got to be LA. more serious. Org. Just want to repeat that. And, um, and, and this lady, Lori Lipsy Aronson, if you know her, give her a call and say, hey lady, do the right thing. Melissa, I'm with you. Keep, keep us involved and informed on what, uh, what, what you're up to, update us and anything we can do to help. And um, 
I, I joke about the fourth quarter of my life and doing what I want to do. And one of the things that's on the list is wanted posters for these producers of violent media. Anyway. Well, I hear you and I, and I hear you. I hear you. It's going to take a little bit of everything. And so I just, I guess I just want to give people the opportunity to do the right thing. And exactly. that people of goodwill uh, who, who do see themselves as community philanthropists and as community leaders that are in this business, you know, have a real opportunity to take stock of their business model uh, and make some practical decisions that can have nationwide implications. Got it. And I'll just close by saying that um, I joke, one of my current jokes is when people ask me where I'm from, I say, you know, I'm from the South, Bronx. And so you can, as my husband likes to say, you can take the girl out of the Bronx. You can't take the Bronx out of the girl. So I'm I'm, going to do that. Well, Jean, thank you for your passion. And thank you for your lifetime commitment to making our community better. It takes all of us to do what we can, where we can, uh, to make a difference. So God bless you. I appreciate your time. Likewise. All right. Um, With all the really difficult um, issues we're dealing with nationally and locally for that matter, because of course, um, one of the after effects of the pandemic has definitely been uh, crime issues. uh, And we are dealing with that locally. Um, And interestingly, of course, in the headlines today, um, the federal police have been involved and, and we have been apprehending more people who have been involved with violent crimes. Hallelujah. But the real solution uh, to the crime issue is making sure that people have the opportunities to develop their lives and their careers that our country was founded to accomplish. So um, that's what really I focus on. And um one of the things that um, I have noticed lately, and um, uh, Jamima um, Joel is on with us today, um, as one of the many developing young, uh, both entrepreneurial and creative and um, uh, basically young people who are trying to uh, do something creative and important with their lives. And it's, it's, it's increasing in New Orleans. So at the same time that we have a very difficult situation, um, that is a product of years of really not doing right by people, according to the original precepts of our country, which was equal opportunity. That was one of the most important ones. Um, there is now, I feel, a, something of a trend. And um, Jamima is is uh, an example of that. Um, she uh, has um, some professional uh, skills, but she's also a talent. So, Jimmy, well, let me let you kind of set the stage, so to speak, for how you've been developing your career on more than one level. And um, native and uh, New Orleanian and someone who is hoping to build her career here. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk more about that. So give me a little bit of an idea of how you um, kind of came to shape who you are as a talent and as a professional. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I am Jamima Joel, a woman who sings and paints, and I started singing at church from a young age with my mom and my sister, so ever since then, like, 
it just became my first love to sing. And then when I went to high school at Sophie B. Wright, my teacher, Lily, the artist, took an interest in me and my artwork. And she just was like, it's so Black, like it's good. So after that, I went to Loyola, which is an art school. So I got back into the arts because I was thinking, you know, it wasn't practical to be a creative in, in any lifetime. And so I went there and there were these artists and someone who were my friends, like, Soleil, like they were telling me and I was going to their classes and there. I was seeing how they were so serious about forming themselves into an artist. So when I started getting out into the New Orleans creative scene, I performed once at the food market, the forest bites market. And I just fell in love with people's reaction to my talent and like also sharing my talent with them. So that's when I got more interested in going into the creative scene, like wanting to meet other creators, wanting to collab and wanting to really take myself serious as an artist and create a sound for myself, which is also very important when you're an artist. You want people to know who you are as an artist, not only like doing covers, but um, what you bring to the table as far as your sound. And yes, and then I also just had a really dedication to keeping the collaboration of art and music and wanting to bring this experience that I felt like was unique, that I don't feel like anyone else was doing, was bringing singing and painting together and creating an aesthetic that is like quite alluring to the eye and like how I can get people interested in this and just feel a vibe and feel therapeutic. So one of the themes of, of what I just heard from you um, is uh, um, the effect of your peers. So you're, you're, a lot of us are influenced by our parents, by our, our teachers, and I'm sure you were too. But um, it sounds to me uh, that um, you were really impacted by other creative peers that you were going to school with. And uh, this also fostered a, a kind of um, collaborative approach to your work. And I know from what I know about your work that you have been very collaborative. So talk to me about that. Talk to me about um, your peers. Now, the peers that you went to school with at Loyola, for example, they're not just from New Orleans. You, Loyola, I know, has a big a student body of people from elsewhere as well. So I'd like, to, I'd like to share with me kind of some of the ways that people from here affected you and, and, and some of the people who are not from here and, and then how you kind of really develop the collaborative process. I think it was like they bounced off of each other. Like once I met people in college that were so serious about music, I was like, well, where are these people like come from? Like it was my friends or it was people who I was looking up to in, in different grades. And I went to like some of their music ensemble classes. And then I saw like how they were developing themselves. And then I went out to my own community and I found that artists were just doing the same thing here. So it wasn't a thing that you had to go to college for. Like there were people who were doing it as well. So I was looking at then I'm like, okay, well, I have these people in my own city too. So once college ends, I still have a community of artists and people who are just taking themselves seriously. Like when I had said the crew, like I had been looking at him for a while and just seeing how he did his thing. And yes, does that answer the question? Um, yeah, it does. Um, so tell me more about um, some of the collaborative work you've done and um, how you have kind of fine tuned the relationship between the people you've partnered with. 
Yeah, so Nighttime, Nighttime <laughs> was a song that I wrote a long time ago about one of my personal dating experiences. And I had that song for so long. I had went to a place called Abstract Nola, which was like every Friday night in the fall, they were having shows where they would have performers and things like that. So I was just like blown away <laughs> every time I went there. And so I had met this guy named Perk and he does music, but he also produces outside of his out of his home. So I was just like, oh, like I have this song and I really want to like collab, make it a collaborative because I know I'm smart, but when I meet other people and they're also smart in their craft, it's like, it can become something else outside of myself and I can also build relationships at the same time. So, and then my guitarist, Sophia, she played some chords for me and then I, she gave me those chords for free. Thank you, Sophia. I will always appreciate her for that. And then I took them to the producer and then also my friend from college, she plays the drums. So he gave us basically like a reference. And then my producer, he made the drums live. And then also I found some sounds on Splice and then I gave those sounds to him. So he came up with the whole beat and he really understood me and understand what I was going for after us working together for so long. And then it's also important, like relationships that you make, you might've made that relationship like six months to a year ago, but how that can come back. Like this girl from Forest Bias, Jay, well, this woman, um, her boyfriend shoots music videos. So I hit her up and I was like, can you like tell your boyfriend that I'm trying to shoot a music video? Cause um, I need you to do that. And it's also like, as a woman, I do find that it was hard at times for me to be taken serious to other male creatives, but my videographer Dex, he just, you know, just took me so serious from the beginning and helped me to build my idea that I already had. I brought an idea to him and then he sat there and he was brainstorming. I was like, wow, like he's really like putting so much like effort and care into what I was doing. And then he told me to reach out to the model that was in nighttime. Cause I was like, I don't know if I can do it. Like, I don't really know him, but he was like, just go ahead and do it. And then he found me some other models and I had found my, my friends from college and one who's still in New Orleans, like they helped me during the music video and shot some scenes with me. So it was just so amazing to realize at the end of the day, all the relationships that I had had around me from going to events, talking to people, telling them what I do, or at times feeling rejection. It didn't matter. Like I realized that I did, I was out there doing something. So how have the people that you're working with um, been uh, shaping uh, what they do? And, and how would you describe the context of the city right now, New Orleans? I mean, we have this huge uh, and rich history, uh, but things are also changing. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think that um, you, you hear points of view from people sometimes that you just feel like, okay, that may have been true about New Orleans 10 years ago or five or even two years ago before the pandemic, but it, there's, it's, it's different. Things are changing. So how, how do you feel about the context of New Orleans um, what it has been and how it's shaping up. Yes, so I would really like to say that there are a lot of entrepreneurs out here who are developing business minds. And I just want to make sure that people are aware of that. Like I know so many of creatives who have grown over the time that I've known them, you know, having actual businesses or having actual studios, having actual property and establishments in New Orleans that um, people should know more about. And then what was the second part of that question? 
how is it how is it trending how is it evolving and how is it kind of shaping up in other words where is what, what's the direction and how do you see the future as it's developing i feel like there's a renaissance happening like i feel like we have so many artists that are doing their thing and then also so many artists who are looking to elevate themselves like i know two local acts that performed at essence fest like i see us moving up in a way to where i really would love for people to be able to move up and be successful in new orleans with other new orleans artists without having to move like of course we want to move because you know we want to go see the world but if new orleans could be its own mecca of a place where because it already is but we want people to be more involved in our creatives and more involved of coming to see us, like not only us coming to, going to see people who are in the industry now, but we have very official, serious artists and people, creatives. Do you feel that, um, do you feel like people really do have uh, a chance at building that Mecca um, and, and what do you feel uh, gives you the hope that that's shaping up and where do you see the obstacles? I see, I think the hope that is, <laughs> is from seeing creatives that I known two years ago move up. So I'm like, if they're moving up now, like in three more years, where are they gonna be then? And then it's like, we can all still pour into the same people. Like the photographer that I know shot for nighttime, like I know he's gonna be, continuing to level up and I'm going to be continuing to level up. So it's like, we're going to be able to economically help each other to grow. And then you also said, what are the challenges? The challenges are, I feel like still getting other people from cities to understand that people can grow in New Orleans and be successful in New Orleans the same ways that they know other people who are successful from whatever city that they are in um also there is a lot of creatives so I suppose like a challenge would be like I don't want to be like survival of the fittest but who are the people who are going to continue to elevate rather than a whole city full of people who are playing music and playing art and um challenges as well um we're smaller than other cities so it's like how how um, I don't know the, I don't know what I'm looking for, but like we're smaller than other cities as far as geographical. So it seems like, you know, cities grow if they're big, but it's like, we have a smaller city, but how still to make it grow? And I, I would have to um, maybe delineate as, as part of that, there's the issue of capital available to, and in fact, invest in and support uh, the development of uh, creative careers. Yeah. That's, that's something that, uh, uh, I, I'm aware of, again, in a more historical context, that's been true. Um, I've been in New Orleans since the early 70s and throughout this entire, you know, 40 year period, I, I have felt that we've been held back by not having as much um, capital as some cities that are, uh, have a, a, a bigger a business footprint, you might yeah. say. Or those opportunities are already in their cities. It's like, we have to go to find the other opportunities or we have to go to find the other platforms that are you know big for music or those financial resources so it's like it's like we have to bring them here and that's just um, you said something I wanted uh, 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 plumb just a little bit uh, further too you said that you feel it's important for people outside of New Orleans to appreciate 
um, how much is going on here and our potential for growth. Are you, do you hear from other people from elsewhere that they don't really take New Orleans um, as seriously as uh, you might prefer as a performer and um, as a professional? So, you know, to what extent have you actually literally heard that or is that just something that you feel? Mm-hmm. It's definitely have to read between the lines with what people say to you. Like I've heard people say like, um, for a particular artist, like, oh, he's from here. Oh, he, he grew up here. Oh, he didn't grow up in, no, he grew up here in New Orleans. And it's like, just reading between the lines of what people are saying. And then you're like, yeah. But, you know, interestingly, at the same time, not only have there been artists that have become huge artists um, uh, nationally and internationally, everybody from folks like the Master P and the Cash Money folks and, and the Harry Connicks and, the, and, and, you know, go back in history, all of the people who have, have, have risen. But at the same time, um, at, right now, what seems to be happening is like this whole sampling thing that goes on all the time. And, and, um, and people like Beyonce using tracks from uh, uh, Big Freedia and, and, and also um, uh, some of the other sampling that you keep hearing about that Drake has done, that other artists have done. So they kind of, they, clearly in the creative uh, music world in particular, and I can't, I have to think harder about uh, the other visual and theater arts, although there are definitely some trends in theater here that I'm seeing picked up elsewhere. But um, uh, is that a, is that like the best way we can develop is is being sampled? How do you feel about that? No, I feel like that was a certain sector of music that was done. I feel like we're still developing like on our own. I feel like samples only like, like when people come down here or they came down for essence, like it was a greater energy around the city because Big Frida had just got that, that sample from Beyonce, like a global artist. So, I mean, I don't really choose to compare like that. Mm. Like it's just touchy to like do that. Tell me about your um, hopes for yourself. What, what's your track? I hope to really like have a documentation of this woman who went so hard to get people to understand and feel the vibes of this singing and this painting and really created something new and unique in the atmosphere. Also someone who really took a lot of time to develop herself and her sound Right now, my sound is very soulful, very earthy, very ethereal, a musical sound that I feel like is great. A lot of people are feeling that type of vibe right now. Um, They're feeling that kind of a vibe from you, or is it part of a trend? It's part of our trend. It's part of where we are. Like, we all are, we're vibing. But also, yeah, um, all right, you're gonna have to explain that to me because I'm kind of I, I, I need the word vibe, but I, I need to know what you mean by vibing. Vibing. Hmm. So it's like every time I go out, I'm like I'm trying to catch a vibe. Like I'm not only trying to have fun. Like I want to feel like I'm in a vibe. So there's different vibes that are going on, like in life, and then artists in ones have different vibes. So it's like when I'm describing my vibe, I'm telling you that it's like soulful, it's earthy, it's ethereal, it's um. 
a bohemian da, da, da. so it's like I'm the vibe is so if you were there and then there's a lot of people that I know that match that vibe so we all know like what vibe we're trying to catch but also you don't want to limit yourself to one vibe but it's like you know and you can see your people through a vibe like oh that's my I know because they're they're the same vibe <laughs> So it's a, in a way, it's kind of a, um, a, a cohort of people who share um, certain uh, ideas about your sound. Now, you've described yourself or described some of the work you've been doing as neo-soul. Mm -hmm. So that's that's an expression a lot of people are familiar with and some others are not. So tell me just a little bit about um, neo-soul and, and why that is a um, vibe that you have chosen to work in. Neo soul is a vibe like I it is spiritual like when you hear neo soul music it's coming from their spirit it's coming from their soul it can even be coming from a higher power that's just giving them these ideas to make music like I just know it and I love like I love D'Angelo I love Erica Badu I love Ari Lennox I love Beyonce I love Jill Scott, I love these artists. These, I love Lucky Day. I love these artists that make you just sit down and then you, you're feeling mellow, but you're also feeling very groovy at the same time. And I feel like that's the gift that your soul has, but it also has a gift of you can be so imperfect. Like you don't have to really try to package yourself up into this perfect lyrical box. Like it's like you're saying things that are coming out of you and your spirit that's why I love neo soul and then it's just something about the word that I really like and I like to bring it back because I feel like we use R&B more than neo soul so saying I'm a neo soul R&B artist I feel like you can really understand where I'm at like roots wise you feel that you're going to be able to build your career here in New Orleans <laughs> no <laughs> no Honestly, no. I, but from everything I just said, it's like, why would I still say no? Maybe it's like, I have a really big hope, but it's like, I have to, the belief is not as big as the hope, but I want the beliefs to get bigger. Um, Cause I really do feel, I, I just feel like we have more work to do on our business level like getting our creatives to really like sit down and strategize like how can we really get people more interested in New Orleans as a music business how can we get people interested in like wanting to invest in our artists how can we get people interested and in wanting to come by but it's like how people are going out to LA just to vibe like they're going out to the clubs like how can we get people here to really understand we are the vibe we've been the vibe and then also we can make money with this. We can make music with this. Like we don't have to be only entertained by y'all. Let us come really entertain y'all. Like this is New Orleans, this is the music. So it's like, I just, I gotta get bigger into the belief, you know? So um, you're kind of big in the belief having just put out your own music mm -hmm. video. You didn't wait for some label to pick you up. You didn't uh, get out there and, um, uh, you know, hope that someone's going to come and give you a helping hand. You worked on, and I don't know how you funded it, but you worked and produced a music video that is um, out there now. You dropped it, what, last week? And you already have, well, yesterday was 8,000 views. So what is it today? Today is 9,000. 
100. And that's really big for me as an independent artist. That's also my first music video. It also gave me a lot of new subscribers. So I'm eager to give them new content, but I'm letting this one ride out because it's doing so well. And I was really like surprised, you know, because I was like, wow, like that did a lot. So, so yeah, I like that you make that point because it really does, it does mean a lot that, you know, you take initiative to get you a music video out there um, without having a label and all of that, because it really gives people um, an insight as to who you are. And then they also have something to look at, you know, you know and enjoy that aesthetics, enjoy my beauty, enjoy um, what I decide to give them, enjoy um, my model's beauty, enjoy like black love beauty. And then just like a lot of the aesthetics that we um, incorporated into the video and yeah, it's doing well. And let's let people who have not seen it yet and who don't know about it, tell them how they can view it so we can bump those views up even more. Yes, you can view it on my YouTube, um, Jamima Joel, J-E-M-I-M-A-J-O-E-L. Mm -hmm. And it was funded by myself, yes, from working for like a working at Homer Plessy for a month and then also some other money that I had and staying with my parents and putting all the money into the music. So yeah, <laughs> it was worth it. Well, it um, I, I have... I have viewed the video and it's pretty extraordinary. It, it does not look like a first out of the box uh, effort. It looks like something that um, represents, again, you know, both your creative and professional skills. And um, I expect it's going to have some serious impact. And uh, someday I'll be asking you for stage passes. So <laughs> I'm wishing you um, all the luck in the world. And I just want you to share with me anything that... Um, you kind of want people to know that I have not asked you. I think like just wanting people to see my perseverance as a woman in the business, as a black woman in the business, as a woman who is of a darker hue, like I'm brown skin. It's all like, you know, things that are up against me, but I will keep pushing forth. And I just love New Orleans. I love advocating for New Orleans. I love other creatives in New Orleans, shout out to everybody, Trinity, Dex, Straight Dope, everybody who was involved in my, my progress. And yeah, just look out for me because I'm really going to be a big thing. Okay, like I'm coming for y'all. <laughs> I know that's true. I feel totally confident in that. And um, I look forward to you continuing as you have already. And I saw all of that in my video. I'm sorry? About every outfit in my video. With a little help from my friend Kayla, but yeah, I styled all those outfits. So fashion, I really love fashion. So take. So I and, and I have uh, noticed that, of course, from the very first day I met you, and uh, and uh, as you know, I've encouraged you to develop that track. Right. Well, I think that's really important because you definitely have a strong aesthetic sense, and uh, you, it, it comes across in in and the appearance of yourself that you put together. So, I am wishing you and assuming great uh, opportunity and luck for you. And um, I know that you'll be bringing people along with you because you have already done that. And I like that you've you know, made sure to call out some of the folks that worked with you. And I know you'll continue to do that as well. So Jamima Joelle on YouTube, the name of your video is? Nighttime. Nighttime. So y'all look out for it and um, look out for Jamima. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you.
time. Loved having you on the show. Thanks, Jean. <laughs>